Wade into Wealth, taking one of life's most intimidating topics, money, your financial well-being, and providing simple, easy-to-understand ways to be more comfortable with your own financial health. This is Wade into Wealth, brought to you by the Wade Group at Brighton Securities. All right, so I have a question for you as we return for yet another episode of Wade into Wealth, and I guess that would be if you ever get tired of hearing yourself, or maybe me, talk. Yes, to both. I get tired of hearing myself, I get tired of hearing you, and yeah. I also get tired of talking. Yes. It's when I go home, you know, sometimes uh, Brennan will have to tell me, you got to be a little bit more social. And <laughs> it's, I get that. Uh, you know, we spend all day talking. I'm not naturally the most outgoing person in the world. So mm-hmm. when when I get home, I need some time to uh, wind down and, yeah. and uh, not talk as much. You can be a bit salty from time to time. <laughs> yeah. As can we all. Oh, yeah, as can yeah. we all. Yeah, we as all can. can. We all. I know you, you cast the first stone. I, oh, believe me, <laughs> believe me, I have my moods. Mm-hmm. Um, well, and in the spirit of that, and and the idea also that I think great leaders uh, do more listening than they do talking. We have an episode this week that I think would be really good for anyone to listen to, whether you're someone that's in a relationship, someone that's in a leadership or management position, and that's from Dr. Karen Gordon, who's our guest. Today, and someone that has consulted for Good Morning America, Forbes, the New York Times, uh, Wall Street Journal, and USA Today, best-selling author, and she's also got a TED Talk that is really, really good, and you can see it on YouTube about leadership. It's called The Three Chairs that has over a million views, so someone that has a lot of really good information, and I can speak for both of us in that this interview was something I think we really both enjoyed and hope that you'll get something out of as well. So Dr. Karen Gordon, it is fantastic to have you with us. And something that I did not know until you told me is that you have a doctorate in overindulgence, which is fascinating to me. And it impacts so many parts of our lives, be it food, be it social media and financially. And it seems like overindulgence can be a real issue when it comes to people and money. Absolutely. So yes, my doctorate, uh, my dissertation, so my doctorate's actually American family, but my dissertation was on overindulgence. Okay. Um, and I specifically focused on families at the time, although most of the work I do today is with professionals and businesses. Um, but the area that I focused in on the overindulgence was overeating, overspending, and overscheduling. And how those three different kind of parts really impact emotional health. And so because of that, I became fascinated on wow, if people really don't manage their money um, or their food or their time, it has massive implications in terms of stress, well-being, their marriage, communication. Like there's, It's just like this domino effect. And so I became fascinated specifically actually with money management, financial literacy, and, and really helping to how do you actually really instill, how do you teach that to all ages, whether it's with couples, newlyweds, um, with young people and even actually children. So I love this topic. What do you see as the most glaring? I'd say if there was some, an observation that you had that you're like, this always really stands out to me um, with how overspending or overindulgence or lack of discipline can really create problems in someone's life. So I think the part that I always found really shocking and it's been consistent, I've been practicing now for 25 years, is money management, financial literacy has nothing to do with how much money you have. You know, I've got clients that are extremely wealthy um, and make well over six figures, uh, so many of them seven, you know, seven, eight figures. And um, 
that, but there are so many people that make an, a really good salary, but have they have no sense with where their money goes. They don't know with where it's going at the end of the year. They just they've got a lot of credit card debt. They and I'll say, well, where does your money? Well, I don't know. Like, there's no plan. They don't record. They don't have a budget. They don't, you know, and it is shocking to me because, you know, we've got limited resources, time and emotion and money. And we've got to be careful to making sure that those resources are going to the right places. And so I think that was the part that was really quite shocking to me that, you know, you can have somebody making, you know, whether it's 50000 or 500000 Um, I've got some clients that are making seven fifty, and and they have so much debt um, that is compiled and they, you know, so I think that's the part that really is quite shocking to me. And then how that affects the marriage, like, you know, marriage, you know, marriage can break down for a lot of, a lot of reasons, but you know, the stats are showing us that marriage, one of the main reasons, one of the top three reasons is over mismanagement of money. Couples are not aligned in terms of how that money is actually getting, uh, how that money is getting managed and actually spent. And it causes massive, massive conflict within couples and so and this is a fixable problem this is not this is not an unsolvable issue this is a fixable problem but you actually definitely need to plan so what what would be some of the ways or steps that a couple would take in that in that those circumstances or in that situation to be able to kind of right the ship and fix uh not knowing where their money's going or just the the trickle-down effect of the impact it has on their marriage and their overall happiness so there's a couple things that I like to do with couples when I'm working with them. And the first one is really identify with what, what are their goals? What are the things that they actually want to be doing? And let's take it like on an annual basis. What are the things that they would actually really like to do, whether it is with vacations or with camps or with, you know, buying a new car or, um, you know, getting out of debt or getting ready to print, like just really kind of identify like what are the goals that they really have for themselves for that year. And I find that's a good step because, you know, just kind of thinking about goal setting and almost vision casting with couples is more energizing. It's not really a lot of fun to kind of like pull up credit cards and find out like, you know, where, where, where's all the money yeah. gone. But if you can kind of get people to kind of start getting a little energized around, you know, what do you want? Like, let's talk about, you know, this year or the next three years, what do you really want in terms of your own goals as a couple and as a family that tends to get them really energized and excited. That's kind of like step one. The second step I get them to do is I do an audit and I'm not a financial advisor. I, I encourage, you know, all my clients that work with a financial advisor, works with a good accountant. That's not my area. I'm going to focus on the emotional side on finance, not the financial side. Right. So I kind of help to differentiate that, but I will get them to uh, a lot of times like do an audit, like basically make a go through and look at where, where are you spending your money? What, what's kind of coming in and where is that actually going out? And, and having that data, is really important. And usually what happens when couples actually do that is they're pretty shocked. They're like, oh my goodness, we spend how much on going out? How much on lattes at Starbucks? Like it, it's the little, what I have found, it's the little spends that all add up. Um, and so once they do that, that is a really uh, sobering moment for a lot of couples. There, it's kind of like, oh my goodness, I cannot believe of what a terrible job we've done with this. And then the third step is like, okay, that's fine. Now we have the data, then lean into it. Let's not, you know, blame and shame each other. Let's kind of like move forward and kind of create a plan. And what is a realistic budget that you think you could actually stay within? And so it's kind of those three steps. Um, and some, some couples like jump in it right away and kind of get through it. Others, they need a little bit more coaching kind of in between, but just watching them uh, be aligned on the goal setting and the budget, because you want to make sure your money is aligned with your goals. 
the same thing in business, right? You want to make sure whatever the goals are, that our budgets are kind of aligned with it. And then actually doing check-ins um, as well is really important. Yeah. Something that, that we like to say, Dr. Karen, is that there's a big difference between saving and not spending. In that mm. saving often has the connotation of I need to do more. What more can I do? How much more money could I make? And then automatically set it aside. Or what can I not spend? And by mm. looking at not spending, you don't have to go earn more. Right. You just have to consume right. less. Not easy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And but, that, that leads. Oh, go ahead. I was, But to your point, it's the we often overlook the little four dollar purchase at Starbucks. But it's yeah. it's the little purchases that we consistently make every day that yeah. on the surface in a one off, eh, it's four dollars. But throughout the yeah. course of a week, it's almost thirty dollars. And then you're just compounding that with every other decision right. that you're making throughout that day. Yeah, I remember when I was in my 20s, um, you know, I was doing my doctorate in my late 20s, um, but in my early 20s. I was doing my master's in counseling at the time and I, you know, and I had this, these great group of friends and we were all talking about, you know, I was trying to, I, I had goals very early on. I wanted to buy a cottage. I wanted to kind of pay for my own education. I wanted to, like, I had very strong goals early on and, and I, we come from like no money, like very humble background, how to pay for everything myself. And so I became, and my mom and dad were fantastic at teaching financial literacy to us, like really, really great. And so I think just from a young age, even from a personal perspective, I started learning a lot of the foundations. And then later on in my professional um, uh, career, I kind of saw it, kind of learned more of the science in terms of like why this is actually so important. But in my early 20s, I remember one of my really good friends, he had a summer job and he was like, I think he made about over 20,000, you know, we're in our early 20s. And the end of the year, I'll never forget. I said, so how much did you save? He goes, I don't have any savings. I'm like, what do you mean you don't have any savings? Like you, you just, you just, or you just worked your tail off for the summer. And he goes, I don't know. He goes, I don't know where my money went. He goes, I got some underwear. I still remember him saying, he's like, I bought some underwear. I got some beer and I got, you know, went on a few trips. And he goes, I, I literally, and all I know is my credit card is full and I honestly don't know. And that's when I realized, like, wow, this is so crazy that you can earn so much money and there's, and have no concept and self-awareness with where that money actually goes. And so starting to be aware around, um, that this is a resource that can help us in our life, that it can really harm us if we're not really, if we don't have a plan around it. We have, uh, Dr. Karen, clients will come to us and say, what's the best advice you can give us? Yeah. And the interesting thing, it doesn't have anything to do with the stock. It has nothing to do with the bond, mutual fund. It's simply <laughs> spend less than you make. And it's yeah. such a simple concept, but that <laughs> is the best advice we can give anybody yeah. because by simply living within your means... Yeah. Everything else becomes so much easier. It's simple, but it's not easy. Right. Yes. Simple, yeah. but not easy. We all know it. It's yep. like knowing yeah. that you should not be eating processed foods as much as we probably all do. Right. We know it, but it's not as easy. So, you know, I'm curious about this because I, and I think this ties in with spending. Is spending money something you think people can get addicted to? Oh, for sure. I, it's know, so easy to do it now, yeah. too, with Amazon and, and, Every app on your phone, it's so easy to do it. And I wonder if it is something that almost becomes an addiction or a comfort or a soothing mechanism for people at times. Absolutely. I mean, the, the term shopping therapy, I'm sure you've heard of it. Yes. Is a, is I don't like thing. it. <laughs> yeah, no, no, exactly. 
Um, and so it's a real thing for sure. People don't feel good. They have something has happened where they don't have control. And so what can they control? They can control buying something that's going to give them comfort. So, you know, for some people it's ice cream. I'm going to have, I'm going to have right. a bowl of ice cream. Right. And for other people, it's like, I'm going to buy something on Amazon or, you know, go shopping. I, I get why people do it. There it's, it's fast. It's easy. It's, it's, but it kind of feeds into instant gratification, right? And instant gratification uh, is not going to lead people to happiness. There's been a lot of science and research done that, you know, when, when we talk about the American dream and what do people want? I want to be happy. The, if you want to be happy, you have to, you have to be self-disciplined. Like it, it, you don't get one without the other. And to be self-disciplined, you have to be self-disciplined in all parts of your life. What are the goals that you have? What are the finances you have to kind of support those goals? And so really, um, but self-discipline is not sexy, right? It's not sexy. It's not like, woo, right? Like everybody wants to sign up. Everybody wants that instant gratification, but it is, it's a fundamental if people really want to have a great life, a balanced life um, and a happy life is to be self-disciplined. And one of them areas is actually around money. You've mentioned goals. You just talked about self-discipline. I'm going to jump all the way down our sheet of notes here because I think it's a really good tie into being confident in what is most important to you and maybe not yeah. what is most important to those we see on Instagram or Facebook right. or other places or assumptions that we make about what others may have. And you have a book, Three Chairs, How Great Leaders Drive Communication, Performance, and Engagement. It was a bestseller, USA Today, Wall Street Journal, your TED Talk on the topic, which is fantastic. And we've linked in the show notes has over 1 million views on YouTube. So I'm curious, how does being more confident lead mm -hmm. to more beneficial results from a financial perspective? So it's a great question. So in the book, I talk about five core leadership skills. Okay. There's five core leadership skills. I call it the middle chair. People go see the Ted talk. It's a great resource. You can watch with your kids. You can watch with your team. You can watch in the classroom. I intentionally designed the Ted talk so that literally every age group could watch it and benefit from it. And so this is based on my uh, professional um, work that I've done over the last 25 years about, you know, really the research around confidence and and so when you think about a great, confident leader, they actually have five core leadership, emotional intelligence skills. I call it the acronym CARDS. So uh, C stands for your communication skills, your ability to give and receive feedback. A stands for your attitude and goal setting skills. So that's kind of back to your question. I'll come back to that in a second. R stands for your relationship skills. D stands for your decision-making and self-discipline skills. And S stands for your stress and emotion management skills. So those are the five core skills. I talk about it in more detail in, in my book, The Three Chairs. So how this is all interconnected, like a big puzzle piece, is that when we look at the research on why is somebody confident, okay, there's certain kind of core skills, and that's kind of like that A part, the attitude and the goal setting skills. So somebody who is confident, they have a clear sense around what they want in their life. What is important to them? What are the goals that are really important to them. So that's kind of like the A, that is the confidence skills. But not only do they have the goal, they have the self-discipline to protect it. So a lot of people will uh, write down their goals. I want to buy a cottage or I want to buy a car. Or, I want to go to school or people will have goals, but they just write on a paper. They don't have the self-discipline to really achieve it. And so that's where you need the second, the, the, the confidence skill or the goal setting skill, but also the, the self-discipline skill. And then when people know what they want and they're self-disciplined, how are they going to feel? They're going to feel happy. They're going to feel less stressed because they've got a plan in place. And so that's how it affects the stress and emotion management skill. 
And when they have all of that, then they start feeling better. So then they have a better sense of self, which actually allows them to communicate better with other people and build better relationships. So that has a ripple effect now into your communication and your relationship skills. So these are five core skills that great leaders actually have. They're all interconnected. And so when we talk about finances, it literally impacts all of them, right? So if somebody has really some great um, emotional intelligence, they know what they want. They've got the goal setting skill. I'm going to be self-disciplined. I'm going to protect it. I'm going to say no to buying a whole bunch of $5 lattes every day because my bigger goal is I want to save for a car, right? So they're, they're going to say no to the immediate yes to the long term so that's kind of driving home the self-discipline and because they're doing that they're feeling amazing so their stress is low they're feeling better you see how there's there's that ripple effect that actually happens but it all comes down to you know setting goals that are important to us and this is the thing that i really try to get clients to do you know there's lots of different ways to build confidence but the best way really is by setting goals like think about what is it you want for yourself because i've got some clients they're like i don't want to make six figures i'm okay to make five figures as long as i have a lifestyle i want a life outside of my i want to be able to play i want to be able to travel like so i really try to get clients to really think about what what are the goals that you have for yourself and then how can you make set a plan up with your time and your resources to make sure you achieve your goal? So it becomes a very personalized uh, plan versus kind of comparing yourself to, you know, what everybody else is doing kind of on Instagram. Do you have a method for helping someone prioritize their goals? Because we, we see so. sometimes yeah. where clients will come and they want to do one through ten. And seeing which one, because for us, we need to say, all right, well, which one's most important? Right. Then which one's yeah. the second? Because we can't achieve all of them this year. Yeah. And so yeah. I'm very curious for, for what your tips may be for that prioritization. Yeah, no, it's great. So in, uh, in my book, I call it the six P's of engagement. And there's kind of like six categories when I actually try to get people to set goals. And it's interesting. I started, I, I created the six P's because it was really great for goal setting tool for individuals. But then when I looked and studied best places to work and best teams and great managers, I found out that it's actually, it's all actually the same. So when you look at teams that are really engaged and you look at companies that are really engaged, it's actually the six things. So there's kind of six categories. When I actually get couples to set goals or individuals, I do this exercise with kids, my own kids. I've got 15 year olds. I get my own kids to do the six P's. We, my husband and I, we do the six P's every single year. It's kind of a bit of a roadmap to kind of help you kind of like, um, map out your goal setting. So these are the six goals, okay, six kind of categories in no particular order. The first one is your sense of purpose. What are the goals that you have around purpose? So that could be around mentoring, that could be about philanthropy, that could be about volunteering. And I usually get people to kind of like set uh, one or two goals. Uh, next category is professional and career. What are a couple of goals you want to set with that? It could be going back to school, getting an MBA, getting a degree, uh, maybe asking for a raise. Uh, third category is profit and your financial goals. What are things you want to do around that category, whether it's like getting rid of credit card debt or saving. Uh, then you've got play. Uh, what are the, what are things you want to do for play and hobbies, recreation? Uh, then you've got people and your relationship goals. What are the, some of the goals you have in terms of your relationships? And the last one is physical health. Uh, what do you want to do in terms of, it could be like running a 5k or doing a marathon. So I, those are the six categories. And then what I get people to do is choose two. To your point, um, it's choose, I encourage people to only choose two per category. So you've got 12 in total. Um, and, and the reason I, I recommend only two is because it forces people to prioritize. Right. Mm -hmm. 
And then the other thing I get them to do is think of it from a 365. I call the 365 goal. So what is realistic, stretching but realistic in the next 365 days? So that's kind of the roadmap. And it's, it's really amazing to watch people. So my husband and I have done this. We've been married for 21 years. Uh, my husband and I have done this pretty much since the day we got married. We kind of mapped out kind of with what our goals are. Uh, you know, according to those kind of six categories, we do this every single year in January. We do uh, definitely quarterly check-ins uh, with our financial goals. We do monthly check-ins in terms of how we're doing a court. And what's awesome about this process is that it forces couples to really kind of get on the same page. Where, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to say yes to? And what are we going to say no to? It becomes kind of your roadmap instead of like, should we go on this trip? Well, I don't know. Like all of a sudden you have all these decisions. You want to eliminate decisions. And so for couples, it usually takes them about two to three hours in a year, uh, every, well, it doesn't have to take that long. And some, for some couples, it takes longer, but it, it creates a very awesome, simple framework to really get them to focus in on what are we going to say, what are we going to prioritize for this year? But I do it for those, those six different categories, because you don't want it to be all financial. Like you got to make sure right. that it's all balanced, right? And just getting couples to kind of like identify two financial goals is a lot, I find a lot more realistic too for them. And the concept of 365 is fascinating because even it's kind of an, I think it's a battle that everybody has because we know that our goals should be challenging. They shouldn't be easy and we should have to stretch for them and they should have to push us. But how do we find that balance of making sure that it's challenging but yeah. at the same time, realistic for us to, to achieve so that we're not, you know, losing confidence because we're chasing a goal that, that just is not realistic. Yes. I really like how Google actually recommends and teaches their employees. Um, it's a concept. We have a leadership coaching program that's used uh, worldwide, actually, with companies. We do team development and leadership development. Um, and goal setting and helping teams actually set goals is actually one of the, one of the modules we actually teach. And I... And I really, really like how Google actually does it. And this is kind of with what we have, what we teach based on Google is make it stretching, but realistic. Okay. Making, make it stretching, but realistic. That's the secret of a goal. So it's got to be stretching in a sense that we don't want to just be kind of like doing what we did last year. Like we want to be progressing. So it's got to be stretching, but realistic according to with what is uh, capable. And the 365 is just our own spin on it because people need a deadline. Right. People need to know, like, what is stretching and realistic within this time frame? Um, and so from a goal perspective, you know, when I think about the couples that we work with um, on the personal side, we usually do, and my husband and I will do this too, we will do our three and five-year goals, and then we do our annual goals. So we'll, we'll kind of start, like, five years out, where do we want to land? And then what are the goals that we want to achieve this year? according to those five-year goals. And that really, so you're, we're kind of like thinking long-term, yep. but we're thinking what's, what's, what's doable this year. And man, is that helpful? Like, I can't even begin to tell you on how helpful that is. And I love doing this. When I, when I coach clients through this on an individual basis, I love seeing like, they literally feel energized because a lot of people, they, they just don't know how to set goals. I mean, the right. research, Right, like Wharton University said, 50, only fifty percent of people actually set goals. Only eight percent of people actually achieve their goals. So there's a very small amount of people, and yet it is, I find, such a massive piece, both for confidence and also for happiness as well. So I'm curious to your thoughts on failure with respect to these goals, because yeah. I think as a as a society, or I know just I've always thought of failure until recently as a bad thing. 
meaning you mm-hmm. didn't achieve your goal. And the point of a goal and something you have to stretch for is that there is uncertainty there. You you may yeah. not achieve it, but yeah. I try to tell clients and, and try to observe this myself that just because we didn't achieve the goal we defined, a failure is not necessarily a bad thing. You may have mm-hmm. gotten a lot further than you were along. You may just have not reached the the target that you had set right. some time ago. And I think I think as a whole, we can reevaluate how we look at the term failure. It's not always bad. Yeah, no, absolutely. In fact, um, I like the, the, the term failing forward. So failing forward is a sense of like you have a goal and you didn't quote get it. So other people might perceive it as a failure, but the idea with it is lean into it. Find out why you didn't get it. Were, were there external circumstances that were beyond your control or were there things you could have done differently? What's your takeaway and what can you do differently so that you move, you progress and you can actually move forward with that failure. It's what I call failing, failing forward. And so, so I really, really like that as a concept. I also really like how Google actually teaches their employees about failing. What I find fascinating is they have this thing, I don't know if you've heard of it, um, it's kind of like the 70, 30, 80, 20, where they actually, when they get their employees and their teams to identify with what their goals and their targets, uh, it is a failure if people have checked off all the boxes by the end of the year. Because when they see that you've gotten 100% of your goals, what, they, what that's telling them is you didn't, you didn't stretch too yourself Too easy. Enough. It's too easy. Yeah. So, we, so a success is some, you're getting 70%, 70 to 80% of your goals. You're, you're checking off and 20 to 30% you're not. And what, because the whole notion is that we have to move, we are all, you know, industries are moving. Everything's moving at a very fast pace. If we are safe, staying too safe, we're going to miss out on opportunities. So part of speed and, and going for things is that failure is going to be part of it. You just have to accept it. And so when you quote unquote fail, see, that's part of the 20% part of the process. And I, I, Love that. As a, you know, my husband and I are entrepreneurs. You know, if you, we had a few a few things that like that didn't work. And my husband looked at me and goes, you know what? That's part of the 20%. Like, it's amazing. It's almost like that margin. It's that extra margin around, oh, that's part of the 20%. That's okay. Well, that's, my- that's part. And I love that as a notion. Instead of thinking we have to be able to check off every single one of our goals, it gives us some, some breathing space that, you know, things can go a little bit sideways beyond our control. So I think that really helps in the mindset. Life is variable. It's not static. It doesn't go a straight line. And and I think we always need to leave room for that, that something's going to happen at some point that's going to take you way off track. And you may need to, you may need to refocus, um, you know, where you are. So I like to run and running in the daytime is very different than running at night. And running in the daytime, you can be focused on different things. You can be looking around. You could be having a conversation. When you're running at night, you have to be very focused on just what is right in front of you. And it's a mm. much different window. And life is like that. There are times we can be yeah. looking all around us and focused on multiple things. But then there are times we have to just focus on the headlight in front of us to make sure we get where we're going. Mm. Hmm. I never, you know, it's interesting. My husband's a big runner. Actually, my boys are big runners too. Um, I've never heard of anybody say that running is different in the morning at night. Never really thought about it. It's interesting. That's why podcasts are so fun. You're like, huh, never thought about yeah. that before. It's good. It's, it's, you know, it's just different perspectives, yeah. right? So yeah, no, it's great. At least that's what I tell myself to make myself 
feel better <laughs> at either 10.30 at night or 4.30 in the morning. Um, let's see what else we didn't get to here because um, well, I, I have a fantastic. question. Is, uh, Dr. Karen, leadership, mm. is it something that is learned? Is it something that, that you're just born with, that certain people have this, this trait and they've been blessed with it? What are your, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, my, my philosophy very much is that it is learned. Um, there are our personality, uh, you know, based on our profile, there'll be some skills that will be easier for us to learn. I will say that. So mm -hmm. I think personality can feed into it, but it does not determine it. And I, um, and, but I really fundamentally believe that leadership is learned set of skills, uh, for all of us. And then it's also not based on age or title or gender or how much money we have or degrees. It has nothing like when I think about great leadership. I think it is a, it's a set of learned skills and um, you know, it kind of comes, com, comes back to those kind of five core skills. Like leadership is a huge umbrella. Obviously what we really focus on as a company is leadership, emotional intelligence skills, kind of those soft skills. That's what we really, that's our niche. Um, and I forgot to mention, cause people are often very curious about that. People often say, can you measure it? And yes, you can, you can measure your EQ just like you can measure your IQ. Um, and we have a wonderful free scorecard for anybody who wants to measure their own leadership, emotional intelligence. It's on our website, dkleadership.org. In Canada.org is not a charity. <laughs> All my American friends are like, oh, it's, are you a charity? No, in Canada.org, it's for profit and nonprofit. But it's a really great, it's free. It's a scorecard. You can use it for yourself. You can use it with your team, your, your family. But it helps you measure how are you doing according to those five core skills because that is a really great way to kind of like lean into this and find, okay, where, what am I doing well and what actually needs work? Um, but you can be, to your point, you can be a 10-year-old um, and be quite a, lead, quite a great leader. Uh, but leadership does start with self. Uh, this is also part of my philosophy. Leadership starts with self. We need to kind of get, uh, you know, really kind of lead our own life according to those five skills in order to kind of lead and inspire actually other people. So that's where leadership can actually start quite young. And we teach leadership skills to both families and organizations. And you can start with children very, very young. So the... Oh, I'm sorry to share one of the best leadership quotes I ever heard. It was at Brockport. So Ethan and I went to the same college, Dr. Karen. We're five years okay. apart, but we both went to Brockport, um, which is which is not far from us. And this his name was Dr. Borby. He was approximately 150 years old when he taught the course <laughs> I was in. And it was just <laughs> principles of leadership. And he got up okay. there one time and he said, you can call yourself a leader, but if nobody's following you, you're just out for a walk. And I thought that was so, um, uh, that was a very powerful way of putting it, that we can think we're a leader, but if nobody's following us, are we? <laughs> or are we just out for a walk? And um, that brought, hearing you talk about leadership um, and how it can be learned um, mm -hmm. made me think of that. And I, I think a big quality, too, is a willingness to adjust and adapt. The idea that, well, this is just the way we've always done it. I think right. is fairly antiquated from a leadership perspective. Absolutely. In my book, I talk about agility, the agility quotient factor, which is a big new thing right now. Um, and it kind of goes on to just around the whole notion around flexibility. Again, when we think about the goal setting, this kind of all fits into that kind of goal thing, that A and uh, attitude and goal setting skills that we're talking about with cards. Um, it is really important to be focused yet flexible in your goals. Right. So, you know, because, you know, COVID was a great example around all of this, right? The COVID was a great example of how P 
people can be really focused and all of a sudden we have this massive external stressor that's happened to all of us and it's you know and how some companies were able to kind of adjust and be agile and others kind of didn't and were kind of crashed you know and so the ability to be agile and flexible yet focused is i think also part of that art and science around um, around leadership and goal setting so we've we've talked a lot about individual leadership and in mm -hmm. organizations or even in in a marriage uh, leadership is not just one person and yeah. whether it's a couple or it's it's the leadership team of an organization what traits or what consistent actions do the most successful leadership teams that you see do day in and day out? Uh, in terms of best practices, that's a really good question. Um, so one of the things that they do is that there are regular communication. Okay. So you kind of go back to the five kind of core skills. Okay. Again, going back to, I, I love frameworks. I love simplicity. I love taking a lot of research and simplifying. It's just easy for people to understand. So for people who watch my TED talk and you look up at the middle chair, great leaders who sit in that middle chair, um, what they do is that they are kind of developing those, those five core skills consistently. So they have regular communication, okay? They are transparent about what's actually going on. They are very clear about here are the goals, okay? So going through the categories, right? They're clear about here are the goals, here are the priorities that we're actually working on and making sure that everybody kind of understands their goal and how they kind of, um, uh, the goals that they have and how it fits to the overall team and organization. They focus on their relationship skills. They try to really understand how, um, how uh, you know, how different team members or, or clients will actually see a, a different situation. That's where cultural differences, racial differences, personality differences all kind of fit into play. They focus on really, again, that self-discipline, helping teams actually prioritize their goals, you know, being ruthless in prioritization. And then the other one that is really big is that, again, the S, that stress and emotion management, what they do is they encourage their teams to set boundaries. When I look at the best teams that we work with, they encourage their teams to turn off the email, turn off the phone, re, you know, focus on high performance in terms of uh, the hours of the day and refueling actually at night. Uh, so that you're not actually having burnout. And that is the science of high performance. I love doing this with teams and companies that are going at a very, very fast pace. Most of the companies we work with, uh, they're going at a very fast pace. They're doing really well. They're like, they're high performing teams, um, but they're, they're running close to burnout. And so looking at the high, you know, just again, the, the, the science around what, what, what you can do, I love teaching that. And all you have to do is just show them the data and the science. And then they, they realize, okay, so let's kind of look, look at our time. Let's kind of start setting some boundaries so we can perform at a very high level with actually lower stress, which is actually possible. So it's literally taking the five cards and putting into like little habits with yep. all five of them every single week. Leadership is, does not only happen when it's convenient. No, it's ongoing. And it's, it's like a language, right? Like I talk about leadership EQ, it's almost like a language. If, if I said to you, the best teams in the world, they speak Spanish. You just got to speak Spanish, you're going to learn Spanish. It, what I have found, and we again, we work with all kinds of different companies, is the best teams, the great teams, they have emotional intelligence. So it's a language that we're learning these five core skills that you learn it and you, 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 um, just, you hone it, you teach it, you breathe it. That's what's going to actually help to really drive uh, great performance, lower stress, and just really great engagement with teams at work, but also at home. It's the exact same set of tools you can actually apply both to your marriage, also with your children, actually, as well. 
If you've made it this far, we'd like to extend one more giant thank you to Dr. Karen Gordon. That, I think, was one of the best uh, guests we've had thus far and someone that really had a lot to offer anyone. And if someone's interested in finding more out, where can they find more about Dr. Karen? Right in the show notes. And we'll also have a link to the TED Talk that we referenced. If you have another 15 minutes, we highly recommend watching that. It's uh, it's it's very much time well spent. Yeah, very thankful for Dr. Karen uh, being with us and you as well. Thanks for joining us as we continue this journey to financial wellness. Contact the Wade Group at wadegroup at brightonsecurities.com or find them on Facebook or Twitter at the Wade Group. Thanks for listening to Wade Into Wealth, brought to you by the Wade Group at Brighton Securities.